if you're visiting here this morning, we want to make it clear that what is central to our sights right now is this right here, an empty cross. And secondly, what is central here is the pulpit, the Word of God, okay? And what we just sang, speak, O Lord, to our hearts. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. For you are continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We who say that we are Christians, Patty uh, mentioned it in her children's story time, 1 John 2, 6, I'll just read it. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. O author of the word, Spirit of God, please do your work in our hearts. Help us to remember that not only is this an important time for us, but every day, every moment is an important time for us as we walk with you. Guide us in this and strengthen our hearts in these things. Be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. As we get started, I want to let you know that our brother Dale Young um, is not with us this morning. He's uh, experiencing some strange thing going on in his feet, in his ankles. Um, first on Wednesday night, I mean, he was here, you know, did a great job last Sunday, thanking the Lord for uh, his work here and sharing the word and um, really prompting this very series with the, the reminder of, we ought to walk, if we say we are in Him, we ought to then walk in Him. And so uh, Wednesday night he experienced a swollenness in, his, in one ankle, and then here this weekend uh, the second ankle is uh, experiencing some uh, flare-up. We don't know anything more, but just please keep Dale and his family in your prayers. Um, so they, they thought at first it was simply a sprained ankle, but now... We don't know. We'll do our best to communicate to you as we find things out. Okay, so I tried to figure out how not to uh, yank things around on a Sunday morning with the, the men that are um, filling in doing the First John series and saying, okay, I'm ready. And uh, so let's turn to the book of Habakkuk and study that. Um, rather than doing that, recognizing what's coming, uh, here's 
Resurrection Sunday, turn, you know, right around the corner. And um, I can't do a whole lot of long-term, long-range planning right now. So here we go on a mini-series. And uh, you see it there, following in his steps in your outline in the bulletin. If you'd like to follow along, you can do that with that outline. So I want us to focus our attention on this concept of following in his steps. So next week and the weeks ahead, we're going to be following in his steps regarding different places that, as Patty alluded to in her little children's story, different places that Christ went. And how does that apply to you, believer? And all the while... We want to be calling non-Christians, unbelievers, to the cross. We want to be calling you. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ is your Savior. We want to call you to faith in Christ because that's where the journey begins. Until then, the Bible says that an unbeliever is dead in their sins. Okay? So we want to pray that God's Holy Spirit would awaken people to the truth of the message of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Okay? So, um, as those of us who say that we are in him, let us then walk in him. And that's the idea behind our message, uh, the message this morning. Um, I remember to this day, the fear that was struck in my little heart as a boy walking in some Twin Cities grocery store with my mom. And all of a sudden, recognizing that my mom got lost. You know, you try and talk to your parents about, you know, their waywardness. And I don't know what's wrong here, you know. (laughs) I took my eyes off my mom. And then when I placed them back on, what I thought was my mom was a total stranger. And as a little boy, that does. That, you know, it's like not been in the grocery store a whole lot. Tends to strike fear in you. And you get the idea with that concept with our walk in the Lord. My concern is that for many Christians, I'm not talking in in a specific way, but in a general way right now, for many Christians, they say, oh, I've, I've prayed that prayer and I've, I've gone to church and done all that. All those good things, but you can still, it's like you're still in the grocery store, but guess what? You might not be following Jesus Christ. Okay? Fix your mind on things above where tradition is. No. Fix your eyes on things above where cool stuff is, and peace, and harmony, and joy is. No, fix your eyes on Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ for right here and right now. And I I say these things out of concern, but it's something that I know that I struggle with, I deal with. Each one of us has this call. You follow after Christ Jesus, and you learn of Him. Okay. So this morning, I thought, what better person to look at and consider of a guy that walked so close with Jesus and to learn some lessons from him. And so this morning, 
in following in Christ's steps, we're going to learn three admonitions from one of the coolest guys ever, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so we want to consider some of the things that he learned. And there are three admonitions that I see. Um, I'm sure there's others, but these are three that help us really focus in, really zero in on what we're called to do. So number one, being geared up. Being geared up by his ministry. And you see that reference there in the outline, Luke chapter 3. I don't know of anyone else that really, you know, jacked it up here with, you know, presenting the message of the cross and the message of Jesus Christ. Here's, here's John the Baptist in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 15. Now, while all the people were in a state of expectation, that's an important little concept there that we need to um, carry with us through this study. There's a great expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he might be the Christ. John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire and his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations also, he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reproved by him, John pointed out Herod's sin, okay, and on account of Herodias, his brother's wife, and on account of all the wicked things which Herod had done, he, Herod, added this also to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Okay? Now, John's ministry was as a, um, a precursor to Christ, right? He was the prophet likened unto Elijah. He was the prophet that brought God's message. And what was that? Prepare ye, what? The way of the Lord. Make straight his, what? His, his paths. What do you do in paths? You, you walk in those paths. Okay? And so, faced with and confronted with this concept of the Messiah is coming. Okay? And wanting to understand his, his, meaning the Messiah's, true identity. People came up to John the Baptist and said, well, are you, the, are you him? Are, are you the one? Okay. Now, that's important because that's, that's a situation that keeps on happening. Are you the one? Okay. So, in being geared up with this, here's this great message of repentance and faith. And so letter A, where's the response from the people? And it's about faith and repentance. In, in a big kind of sweeping way, that's, that's uh, what John is calling off for. John the Baptist is calling off for one's response. And that's going to be faith and repentance. There's got to be faith and repentance, not back to John the Baptist, but unto the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
That's what John the Baptist said. Behold, there he is. And where are, letter B, then where are the results? That's another thing that John the Baptist kept going back after. Bring forth fruits of repentance. There it is. And see, this kind of emphasis doesn't get um, brought in front of our thinking and our eyes and our hearts all that much. All too often, we as a generation, uh, uh, different generations right here, have just heard basically uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we take that thought and run with it. And it, who knows what that might end up meaning. But John makes it specific here. It's about faith and repentance. There's the response. And the results, where's the, where's the difference? Where's the fruits of repentance? And we need to remember this broad, uh, I mean, just another sweeping statement of where there's life, if we say that we're Christians, where there's life, there's going to be fruit. Eventually, there will be fruit. Okay? So that's a general principle that we need to, you know, understand in spiritual things. Okay? Well, that's a quick opening regarding Luke chapter 3 and John's, John the Baptist's ministry. Now, go, uh, we'll go to point number 2 and turn over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Okay, so the, the first point is being geared up with the message of salvation. Here it is. Faith and repentance and fruit that follows. Right? Second admonition is being guarded up. Being guarded up. I mean, come on. There's no greater guy out there in the, in the scriptural record than John the Baptist. Jesus said it himself. There's no one greater than John the Baptist. Okay? And so, yet, here's an example of the need to be guarded up regarding our walk in the Lord. And it's what John experienced it's what john experienced on his own okay luke um we're at luke chapter 7 starting at verse 18 there have been great reports of jesus and and his work his miraculous touch on people and then the report came back to john where was john john was in prison okay in verse 18, and the disciples of John reported to him all about, all about all these things that were going on. And calling or summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord. He sent them to the Lord saying, are you, Jesus, are you the expected one or what? Or do we look for someone else? And when these men had come to him and they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured, Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and he granted sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he 
who keeps from stumbling over me, who takes offense at this. Okay? And then um, we'll pick it up there as we move along through this outline, through our outline or study here. So think of this now again, of, of being on a pathway, of being on a, a road, all right? And if we're saying we're going to get geared up, we've all, you know, we who say we're, we're believers in Christ, we've been geared up. Here's the message of the, of the cross. And now uh, it's a matter of being guarded up uh, in regards to life's pathway. Guarded up in this. Because, of letter A, here's the detours of deception. This is one of the first things that we've got to understand about Here's the detours of deception. The enemy is out there and he knows the truth of the gospel. And what does he want to accomplish? To deceive believers. To keep the eyes of the unsaved blinded. Satan is active. He is uh, powerful. And he, he is very subtle. And we see that John the Baptist himself had struggled with what? Doubt. He struggled with doubt. Is that wrong? Well, might not be wrong. It could be. And we've got to, you know, you know, gear our thoughts and you know, wrap our minds around this idea. But there's the enemy's deception, and it might be uh, that we have a uh, more of a study on the enemy's deception here, or it might even be other people. And their deceptive teaching, because that's out there also. And thirdly, even be aware and alert to our own deception that we put forth. And I'll, I'll talk about these three. The enemy's deception first. Mark down, if you're taking notes, just mark down 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, and 13 and 14. 2 Corinthians 11, 3, and verse 13 and 14, uh, where Paul writes and says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So that's a concern for all believers that we wouldn't be deceived like Eve was. Okay. The enemy is active and strong. Um, In verse 14 of chapter 11, Paul writes and says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, I'm not suggesting that John the Baptist um, had a uh, struggle with Satan, per se, and fell into doubt. I'm I'm not trying to connect that dot there. I'm just saying that with deception, here's, you know, where we got to go first is the enemy and what he wants to do. Okay? But then there's, secondly... There's others' deception. Others that would be involved in deceiving. And you, could, you, you might think, like, how in the world could that be? It is. It's a reality, friend. A reality that's in our world. That was back in the world of, of uh, John the Apostle. False teachers. Deceivers. And yes, we have our share of them in this day and age. I want you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. is chapter 3. Others in their deception. 
2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 13. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay? Written some 2,000 years ago, and here, here now, it's still going on. All right? Um, and we have a bit of the solution in verses 14, 15, and on. Verse 14. You, however... Continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of. Knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have, what? Known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's not simply stated for church leadership. That's stated for leadership and believers. That we would be instructed from the word of God. Okay? So, the point here is about other people in their deception of true Christians. And here are here's three points under that one. Three quick ones, and that is, here's what they deceive in. Number one, they deceive about the true character and nature of Christ. The true identity of Jesus Christ. Now that is that opens up the doors to discussion about cults, because that's an identifying factor in cults. They will start, the problem with cults is, they don't have a true nature, a true understanding, a true identification of Jesus Christ and who he really is. So, right away, you're dealing with groups like Jehovah Witnesses. You're dealing with groups like Latter-day Saints. Because they do not have a true understanding of the nature, the character, the work of Jesus Christ and who he, of who he is. And it's very subtle and very... Very uh, sounds just like what we're all involved in because there's a lot of the same language being used. But we've got to be able and wise, Christian, to be able to ask the appropriate questions about who do you say Jesus Christ is? Okay? Um, groups that just lower who Christ really is. And we have to be careful that we don't join in that action of lowering who Christ really is. My goodness, he's going to be worshipped for all of eternity. He's God. He's God in the flesh. No one else is like that. He alone is God in the flesh. Okay? So, secondly, what happens in in the realm of getting deceived is the replacing uh, the authority of God. Replacing the authority of God. Here's the word of God. And subtly, gradually, um, professors, maybe even uh, authors, writers, pastors, teachers, whatever, start taking away from the authority of the word of God. This is another realm of getting deceived. We can maybe hear these same words, but it ends up being like this. It gets shifted from, thus saith the Lord, 
to what? Thus saith Dr. Phil. Thus saith Oprah. Thus saith Glenn Beck. Sure, why not? And we've got to make sure that we are on target with saying, but what does the word of God say? Here's my authority. Here, the, the word of God is sufficient. We might not be able to you know, argue that right now, but we, we understand through what Jesus taught, what Paul wrote, the word of God is sufficient for our every need. Does it answer every question that we have? No. But it's sufficient and it's the authority. Because in the end, when Swenson shows up before God, you know, it's, it's a matter of saying, well, I plead the blood of Christ, number one. But also when it comes to the believer's judgment time, what did God tell me? What did God tell you? Here it is. And we need to, you know, not try and move off of that authority in our lives. Okay? Um, it ends up when, when teachers, pastors, writers, whoever start uh, taking away from the word of God, then there's no gospel power. It gets kind of just nice and neutralized. And here's where I need to speak about something that's going on right now in the, the churches across America, uh, in, in Christianity. It might be that you've not heard of this, but this is what's been going on the past two or three weeks when um, out in the blogosphere, as we say, of the, uh, the writings of a certain man, pastor of a church of about 10,000 people, we'd say, wow, that's cool. But he's written a book called Love Wins. Love Wins. My friend, beware. Because in the book, the basic thrust of this is that, well, how could God, being a loving God, send anyone to an eternity, uh, an eternity in hell? See, those are very subtle things. And we could say, well, yeah, you're right. You know, that thing about the love of God, I, I've thought about that. that. You know, how could God send someone to an eternity of hell? Because God is love. And all of a sudden, the next thing you're doing, you've taken another step and another step towards this idea. Now, I know a lot of you, not all of you, but I know a lot of you, and I know you're not going to budge. You're not, you, you see that, and that, that's, it's not what I want to move towards. Good. But there's others of you here. I don't, I don't know you. I don't know you as well. We have a, we've got a, a responsibility as shepherds to shepherd the flock and warn you. Okay? So here's a guy, Rob Bell. And, uh, you know, we... That's a book we need to be on the alert for. Secondly, many of you know of Joel Osteen. And, um, you know, oh my goodness, there, there's, it kind of goes right in line with it. Just a loving guy. Real love. Just so compassionate. So merciful. But he's missing something. He's missing something. It never really gets talked about. About sin. 
about here's the reason for the gospel. The reason for the gospel is that I'm a sinner. I need a savior. There's judgment against sin. God's holy. God's righteous. He will punish sin. And it's not my little mistakes, by the way. Yeah, I got plenty of mistakes. And it would be so much nicer to just call them mistakes than sin. And see, my friend, that whole thought process builds and mushrooms to where now we're, we live in a society, and it's not just been recent, it's been a long time, where we are dealing with things that are syndromes. All sorts of things. Well, it's just a lot of mistakes that are built up in your life. And the person never hears the message of them being a sinner in need of a savior. Okay. A third area then, in the, I, I miss saying that, sorry, but the third area is redefining sin. When we redefine sin, that's another area of deception that's happening. Young people, you hear it probably more than the older folks do about living together. And it's, it's accepted. It's accepted in our community. It's accepted in our state. It's accepted all over the world about just, you know, a, a, a man and a woman living together. And it's like we all just have swallowed that one, saying, well, okay. And arguments are given. Well, it's because of financial reasons. We can help pay the debts better. Team up, you know. And if we really like each other, we want to get married. Okay. And it might be that, you know, you've, you've, got, you've dealt with that. You've gone through that. And I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not trying to say that, you know, um, you haven't, you're better than those who did, you know, those who went that way. I'm not trying to say that. But the point is, we, we are in a world now that redefines sin. It's no longer a, a matter of uh, sin, the sin of fornication. Whatever happened to that word? Okay, so I got to move on. There's a lot here. I'm not moving on because I'm without thought on this subject, though. It's something that we deal with a lot. And when Christians say that they're Christian, I mean, people say that they're Christians, then let's walk in the way as he walked. Okay? As best that we can by faith, right? Okay, the last one here, under number two, under the detour of deception, there's the enemy's deception, there's others in their deception, and thirdly, your own deceiving way. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is what? Deceitful. The heart is deceitful. You can be the nicest person in the world. I'm not questioning that. What I'm saying is, your heart is still deceitful. According to God, your heart's still deceitful. Okay? Um, and e- mark this down. Ephesians 4.22 and Hebrews 3.13. Those are verses that help us understand that there is a deceiving way that we generate. Okay? Now, I direct your attention to some of the disciples. 
Um, we're not going to be able to dive into it real deeply right now, but some of the disciples themselves, dece- they deceive themselves about who Jesus is. They, un- they thought that Jesus was going to be uh, what? A political Messiah. And thus, one of the examples is at the garden, Peter whips out his little sword and he goes after a guy and that was the... That was a representation of some of the disciples in the group who understood that Jesus is supposed to be a political Messiah. In other words, we're going to overthrow Rome. How can you do this, Lord? Go to the cross. No, come on. I'll go, I'll go through whatever with you, Lord, but we're going to overthrow Rome. It was the, the implication behind some of these disciples in their false expectations of Jesus. And I say that because you and I can do the same thing. We can build a false expectation of who Jesus is. In other words, Jesus is the healer and he ought to be healing everyone, right? Because he healed these people. Or Jesus is the, you know, he's going to answer all my problems. He's, he's my servant. You know, he's going to, when I call, he'll snap too. I say that because... Those images, if we're not careful, those images do grow in your minds, in my mind. We've got to be careful for that. Okay. In, in, this, in some related fashion, John the Baptist had a similar false expectation. And thus it was brought about, and it results in, um, in the letter B, under number two, the ditch of doubt. It is. It's a ditch of doubt. And any one of us can fall into it. It's, you know, the thing is, we go back to Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, and it's, it's seen right away by his, his questioning, his sending his disciples to say, are you the one or are we expecting somebody else? What was, John's, what was John the Baptist's style like? <laughs> It was powerful. It was confrontive. It was in-your-face kind of ministry. And here's John the Baptist. We don't know exactly how long he'd been sitting in prison. But, you know, it's like if I'm John the Baptist, I can see, you know, like, hey, how come Christ doesn't come and and break down the walls and I'm out of here? And so, doubt starts building. And it's like, no, that doesn't equate with John the Baptist in knowing my image of who he is. But certainly, doubt came. Now, we think it might have been just because of the difficult circumstances of being in prison. Um, that we can relate in, in maybe not as a deep, difficult of a way, but we can relate nonetheless of difficult circumstances. And doubt sneaks in. Because it reveals the expectation we have of who Christ is supposed to be. What's the remedy for my doubts? What are the remedies for your doubts? Well, what did John the Baptist do? I love this. John the Baptist sent his disciples where? To Jesus. Friend, take your doubts to Jesus. I'll say it again. 
Take your doubts to Jesus. Then what did Jesus say on top of it? Okay. Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. And so here's the work of Christ and the person of Christ. Regarding your doubts, you better know and get to know better and better who Christ really is. Okay? Um, and really, it's, it gets down to this. Treasure the, the record of... Here's, here's the record of, of Jesus. Treasure what you learn. Treasure these things in your heart. Like Mary. Treasure them in your heart. That way, when something happens to you, when something goes down and you don't like it, rather than doubting, you can say, I don't know what's going on, but I trust him. Why? Because I'm learning more about him. I know him better and better. Even amidst the difficulties, we see that John brings his doubts directly to Jesus. And then uh, verses 24 through 29, we see how Jesus commends John. Um, We're not going to go there. Uh, We've got one other letter to cover here. Letter C, the dead end of denial. The dead end of denial. And some of the, the, uh, you start in verse 30. Chapter 7, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. They rejected what John was preaching, and they denied the message. And Jesus puts a very specific light on this denial. Okay? Look at verse 31. Follow along with me. He says, "Then To what then shall I compare the men of this generation? He's talking about the Pharisees and the lawyers specifically. But then for, we understand it, it applies to everyone. What do I, how do I compare the men of this generation and what are they like? They're like children. Now, right away, we know that scripture has a lot of references and allusions to children. This is not a good one. They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call out to one another and they say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. There's Christ's indictment against the religious leaders and he points out that they're like children and you know what in this situation the children want to play their game without any rules they don't want to play by the rules set forth they're not wanting to be told what to do john the baptist came and jesus describes it he came eating no bread drinking no wine here's one extreme He sang the dirge, and you didn't mourn. And then here's Jesus, and he comes, and you say he's like a, a, he's he's come eating and drinking. That's a reference to just normal day-to-day living, not extreme stuff. 
just normal day-to-day living. He came eating and drinking, enjoying life. And you say he's gluttonous. He's pointing out the response of the Pharisees, the response of the religious leaders. And they, they were more concerned about style than about substance. Okay? Jesus made the point that those who rejected John and those who rejected Jesus were like obstinate, stubborn, unwilling to be satisfied children. I guess we call those kind of children what? Brats. (laughs) But, and we've got to wrap it up here with this last point, but, verse 35, look at it, look at it, Yet, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. It's like, why didn't he explain this more? Why didn't he talk about it? Why didn't he really preach on that? All that needs to be said. True wisdom will show itself true in children who are following the master. So, point three is the admonition of growing up. Growing up. We had gearing up, guarding up, and growing up in the faith. Letter A, here's the proof. Wisdom. True wisdom. The idea of being vindicated is the idea of to prove what something is worth. All right? Wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Wisdom is the desired result of saving faith. Okay? Letter B, here's the path. And the path is, I've referenced Proverbs 4 there, okay? Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4 starts with, um, in this, uh, let's turn there real quick and look at it. Proverbs 4. And I want you to look at verse 10. Reading from verse 10 and on, just mark it in your notes. Proverbs 10, I mean, Proverbs 4, verse 10 through 27. But it's, here's what it starts with. It starts with, Hear my son and accept my sayings and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the upright paths. There's the idea of walking. There's the ways. Here are the paths. And so go in it. And that's what true wisdom will do. If you are a person who is searching after true wisdom, here's what will result. I'm not talking perfection, but direction. The the direction of your life. Okay? Here's the pathway. It's God's word, his instruction, led by the Spirit of God. And what's your action? According to Proverbs 4, what will your action be? And it's two-edged. Walk in the way of wisdom, walk in it in his way. Secondly, avoid the evil way. That's what Proverbs 4 talks about. You can look at Psalm 1 and look at, consider that also. So what's the direction of your life? What's his path? Or is it your own path? And you and I have to examine that because Scripture says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves. Are you sure it's his footsteps you're following? We all would say that if we're Christians. You're saying, oh yeah, 
But I want to challenge that notion. Is it really his or is it yours that you've built up in your mind without the counsel of the the authority of the word of God guiding us in that? And when it's all over, don't be caught following anyone else like I was in the grocery store. Don't be caught. When it's all over, don't be caught following someone else. That you would say, you know what? I studied. I, I, I wanted to treasure the message of the Word of God so that I knew that, yes, I was following Jesus Christ through it all. Remember the words of Matthew seven twenty one: Not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, let's make it clear that in all you do, if all, if all you do is talk about it or make a claim, then you and I, if we're doing that, then you and I leave ourselves open to the accusation that we really, we're not truly walking after Christ. James chapter 2 talks about it. Faith without works is dead. But we're saying, you know what? Let's get this in the right order. We don't work to gain our salvation. We have faith. Faith comes by hearing, hear by the word of God. Faith without works is a dead faith. Let's get involved in that. Let's have that churning through our thoughts and our our minds. Christ points us to the genuine, real deal faith that we would respond to him. And his demand on your life. I said demand on your life. And you think, if you're, if you're having a hard time with that, then we haven't studied the word of God enough. Because it is a demand on our lives. He's called you to lay down yourself, take up his cross, and follow him. So... Let's keep on this journey to know him better and better, to abide in him, to engage with what he's taught us and to obey his word with his help, because without grace, we fail. In closing, I want to challenge, especially you men, I want to speak to you men right here. I want to challenge you to either wake up or to step up and then others of you to keep on walking to keep on going in the in the things of the lord because it starts with men it starts when men say as for me and my house what we will serve the lord okay 